Good morning. All right. Well, my name is Matt Wolf. If I haven't met you, I'm so glad that you're here online in person. I'd love to get to know you. So go to risedenver.com slash connect. Fill out that I'm new form and I will reach out to you. Love to get to know you. Man, with, with uh, the darkness around us and the mask, it's got to be the end, right? It's, it's coming. We're all looking at the things going on around us, the times, the signs. It's got to be the end, and that's what a lot of us try to do, and a lot of people that you see, uh, whether it's on social media or in the media, are trying to interpret the times. This is definitely the end, isn't it? With a pandemic globally, with conflict, with issues going on, with racial tensions, with Dr. Seuss being canceled, it's got to be the end, right? That's what everybody's wanting to know and interpret. You know, I don't know if it's just me as a pastor, but, but people send me things like with interpreting the signs. People send me books and like, look, there's four, four blood moons going on. It's got to be the end. Remember this back in 2014, 2015? Uh, somebody sent me a DVD once to watch and it was like four discs. I put it in and, and, and it's like, look, if you read Ezekiel, this, this chapter, when it's talking about Syria, it, it actually references Russia, and because Russia is doing that and China is doing this, it's definitely the end. We have clearly interpreted the times. I'm like, huh? I don't know if I quite made that same interpretive jump there, but okay. Even just this last week, I don't know if you've seen it, but I've been doing a midweek moment for the last two weeks uh, during this series. I'm going to do a little five-minute videos that we're putting up. You can subscribe on our YouTube page, these midweek moments. But the very first one we put up, and this week, we got a comment from a woman who is clearly saying that Trump refers to Daniel eleven nineteen, Biden to Daniel eleven twenty, Obama to Daniel eleven twenty one. We know it's the end. Signs are clear, right? Sawyer and I were trying to figure out why Obama's after Trump and Biden, but okay, who cares about the math, right? The the signs are clear. We can interpret how things are going, and we know it's the end, right? This is what a lot of people try to do, very, very apocalyptically trying to read and interpret the times to figure out what's going on. There's all sorts of people trying to figure out what the mark of the beast is, the mark of the beast. It's got to be credit cards. That's what people used to say, right? And now everybody's got four of those, so it can't be that. Okay, maybe it's some genetic thing, or maybe it's people are getting injected with, with something. Oh, maybe it's that covid vaccine. Oh my gosh, that could be it. The mark of the beast. People are wondering who's the antichrist. It's got to be Obama. That's what a lot of people thought. And, and a whole other political segment is definitely Tucker Carlson. Okay. People are saying all sorts of stuff. They can interpret the time. They know what's going on. They know who the four horsemen of the apocalypse are. One direction? I don't know. But we're trying to interpret all these different signs. What is it? How is it going? And I, I don't I'm not going to say whether any of those interpretations are right or not. We all have brains. We can, we can think about it. But what I'm going to say is most of us get it completely wrong. You know, there was two guys on the side of a road holding up signs. The first sign send the, said, the end is near. The second sign said, turn before it's too late. So a man driving up, pulled over, rolled down his window, Go home, you religious freaks, he yells. Speeds off. A minute later, there's a big splash. The first guy looks at the second one holding the sign and says, maybe we should have just said bridge out. <laughs> See, we interpret the signs 
incorrectly. We interpret the signs and we get things all sorts of right or wrong, who knows. But my point in this message is not to untangle all of those different signs that people are interpreting, whether they're getting that right, whether they're getting the times right. But what I'm going to talk about is for what Jesus told us, because Jesus told us very clearly how to interpret the times. Did you know that? Very clearly, and yet it's one thing that almost everyone misses, and in fact, I think it's something that most people get completely backwards. Get completely backwards, and we're going to see that from Jesus' own mouth today as we learn from him, that, that most of us have this completely backwards when we're interpreting the times. You see, because what most people do when they look and they say, hey, Trump, move the embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. That's got to be a sign, right? What, what, what they do then is judge people. See, see, this is what we're doing. We're saying, hey, so that means Trump and his administration is wrong or the opposite. How could they be anti-Palestinian? They've got to be wrong and evil, right? We use this to judge others. When we see these wars going on, oh my gosh, those people need to repent. What China's doing, they're so evil. What those other people around us are doing, that political party, those groups of people, they're all wrong. And that's what we do when we interpret these times. Oh my gosh, things have gotten so bad in this world. Look what the world's coming to. It's going to hell in a handbasket. We can't raise our kids or grandkids in this. It must be the end. We use this to judge others, to look at others and, and point out all of their wrongs. But here we're going to learn from Jesus the exact opposite. See, see, our big idea today, don't worry, Jesus says, if others are wrong, get right yourself. Don't use all the times, all the signs around you to judge them, say they've got it wrong. Look at all those people out there. It's to look internally at ourselves. Jesus says we should try to interpret the times for ourselves. Not to say they're going to hell, but I need to get right. So if you're here, if you're online, you need to realize this message is for you. <laughs> Don't think of that conspiracy theorist person who loves Q and is giving all sorts of interpretations of the end times. Don't think about that person. Think about yourself. In fact, if you're here, I want you to say out loud, this one's for me. This one's for me. Online, you can type that in in the comment section. This one's for me, and this one definitely is for you, because that is what Jesus is going to teach us. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and get with me. Open it up to Luke chapter 12, verse 54. We're going to go to chapter 13, 9. If you're online, get there as well. You can use the YouVersion Bible app, and we have an event under Arise Church Denver. You can find and fill in all the notes and all the scriptures. Um, and, and if you're saying, hey, Matt, you skipped a little section from what we covered last week. Um, Sawyer and I actually covered that section, uh, verse 49 to 53, in our midweek podcast, The 10,000. So if you haven't done that, you can go to arisedenver.com slash media. The, the YouTube videos, the, the messages, the, the podcast is all there. You can get that. Because it is an important section, but it really leads us into verse 54, where Jesus speaks to the crowd. So, so look at this passage with me. He said to the crowd, Jesus did, when you see a cloud rising in the west immediately you say it's going to rain and it does and when the south wind blows you say it's going to be hot and it is hypocrites you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky how is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time so what is jesus talking about here well see in israel they were just east of the Mediterranean. So the Mediterranean Sea was to the west of them. So whenever there was you know, clouds coming from the west, 
What would happen nearly every day in Israel to this day is that those clouds would rise, come over to the east, hit the mountains around Jerusalem, cause them to rain, okay? It's almost like in Colorado, you can expect, expect a thunderstorm every, you know, afternoon in the summer, right? It's just like, it's going to happen. You see those clouds rising in the west, it's going to rain. People knew it, and they were right. Same thing when there was a wind coming from the south. Well, that, that's the desert south of them. And when the wind would come up, it would be hot. It would be sandy. It would be nasty. So they're like, oh, be, be ready. If there's a south wind, you're not going to want to go outside and play baseball today, right? Or whatever they played in Jesus' day. Uh, so, so they could just interpret the signs. They see the weather patterns. They know. And in the same way, Jesus is saying, it's that simple when we're trying to interpret the times. And yet you guys get it so wrong, you are Hypocrites, that's what he starts with. Hypocrites, meaning you look one way on the outside, but on the inside, there's something wrong. You, you look good on the outside, but on the inside, you are wrong. And then it's so interesting, it's so fascinating how Jesus makes a turn here. I really had to focus on this turn because it doesn't seem to make sense at first because he says in verse 57, why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? Verse 58, as you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way, or your adversary may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Seems to not make sense because Jesus gives almost this exact same instructions in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. So I looked at this, I'm like, okay, this seems to make sense, this teaching stands alone, but why is it here? Whenever you're reading the Bible and something doesn't seem to make sense, Keep thinking about it and thinking about it and let it gnaw at you until you figure it out, okay? And ask the Holy Spirit to help because often that's the key to understanding what's going on. So I looked at this. I'm like, why the heck does Jesus make this pivot? He calls people hypocrites for not interpreting the times. And then he says, hey, if someone has, uh, if you're going to court with someone. So what is going on? Jesus is talking about an issue with someone and they have an adversary. They have an opponent, someone who they think is wrong. And they're taking them to court because they're suing them, Right? Or they're being sued and they're like, I'm taking you to court because I'm right, you're wrong. Isn't that what we do when we take someone to court? And he doesn't say one way or the other whether this person is right or not. Obviously, they think they are. They're going to court, I'm right, I deserve what I deserve. Or in this situation, perhaps, I don't owe any money no matter what they say. I have paid what I need to pay. Everything is fair and right. And yet he says, hey, you've got to settle that before you get to court because you might get thrown in prison and have to pay off all your debt to the last penny. And the word penny there is even for like a half penny. You might have to pay everything. You don't know. You might get a bad judge. So he's saying just practically resolve the conflict before you go to court, even if you think you are 100% right. So, so I, I think that's why it fits so well in this section. Because what we do is we have a conflict with another person. Why? Because they're wrong and I'm right. And I'm so convinced of it that I will go to the judge and I'm going to get my way. I will prove that I'm right. You're wrong. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter if you think you're right. Even if you are right, you need to get right with others. Does that make sense? It it doesn't matter if you're right or not. You need to get right with others. And that's the first thing you need to do. Instead of thinking all the other people are so wrong out there, how could they do this? How could they, you know, destroy our culture? How could they, they change things? How could they be ruining our country? Instead of looking out there, we need, even if we're right, we need to look to ourselves and say, how can I get right with those people? So, so this is tough for us because we like to ride our high horse, don't we? I'm right. I know I'm right. I got the Bible to stand on. I got the Constitution. 
I got a reason I'm right and you're wrong. We do this, don't we? Jesus is almost saying, hey, whether you're right or not is, is it's kind of secondary. What's more important is, are you right with those people? Are you in a right relationship? Have you reconciled with them? I don't think Jesus in any way would tell us to, to break it all from the scriptures, to break it all from what's true and what's right and, and, and good doctrine. But what he is saying is that most of the time we're in conflicts with other people because of secondary issues, tertiary issues, issues like money. And guess what? If God's going to provide for us all we need, money things don't really matter. Even if you're in the right, I deserve this money. I'm not paying you. Jesus says, put those secondary and tertiary things aside so that you can be right with other people. In fact, Paul, I think, picks up this same idea in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, he says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? It's better to be personally wronged, even when you know you're right, than to be at conflict with people around us. Paul would say elsewhere in Romans, man, this is a good word. Somebody needs to hear this today. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Do whatever you can, as far as it's on you. I think this is in there as far as it depends on you because there's at some point you have to allow the other person to reconcile to to make things right. But I've done everything I can. Have you prayed because you're having this conflict with another person? You're having an issue. You're so angry with them for doing what you see is wrong. But have you done everything in your power to make things right with them? Because that right restore relationship, reconciliation is more important than whether I'm right or not. So I think this is the first thing that we need to do. And you know what? This is hard because sometimes we are right. Sometimes we are right. And it takes a lot of humility, takes a ton of humility to go to another person and reconcile with them when they're in the wrong. Man, this is hard. Have you tried to do this? But we've got to do it as hard as it is. I heard a story about um, Colonel Colonel Christopher Hughes. He he was in uh, the second Iraq war, and and while he was there into Iraq, one of his missions was to lead his soldiers to to provide humanitarian aid, food, and supplies to some of the people in Iraq, the Iraqis who, who needed food, who needed meals. And he knew it was going to be really difficult to do because here they are, these, uh, these American forces coming in, just invaded the country. How are they going to accept that? So he thought, hey, this will be really good if I can go to the mosque and get the imam to help me, then maybe we can deliver this food. But as he took his soldiers carrying these boxes up to the mosque, all of a sudden a huge crowd of Iraqis started to surround them. They were armed with stones and sticks and they were angry. And the colonel was like, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? And finally, he told his soldiers, who all had weapons, they were armed, and they were pointing those weapons around them at at the Iraqis that surrounded them. He, He said, put your weapons down, put the boxes on the ground, and kneel. And all his soldiers did that. They, they kneeled on the ground. And when they did that, then he said, okay, now I want you to look all these Iraqis in the eye and smile at them. And that's what they did, because they didn't speak the language. They didn't know, but they, they just smiled at him. And all of a sudden, the Iraqis realized that they weren't there for conflict. They weren't there to fight. They had humbled themselves, in a sense, right, with that posture of kneeling down before them. And for that reason, the Iraqis helped them, and they were able to distribute that food and help those people. 
I love that story because it teaches us that sometimes we're in the right. I mean, he was there to distribute aid, and here they are trying to stir up conflict, right? Come on, they're in the wrong. But, but sometimes we have to lay that down, to humble ourselves. And, and when we're talking about individuals that we're struggling with, we're having issues and conflict with, maybe it's even our family members who you've been really angry with because of their stance on politics or on the vaccine or on China or on whatever. It is so hard to go and reconcile with those person when we think we're right. But we have to do it as followers of Jesus. Man, this is hard. But Jesus says, hey, hey, if you're going to interpret the times, it's for you. Don't worry if others are wrong. Get right yourself. And this means first to get right with others. To get right with others, the people around us. But, it, but it's even more than that because Jesus says, hey, it's not just getting right with others. He's going to go on to say, get right with God as well. We need to get right with our Father in heaven. That's what he says next. Oh, this, this section is good. Verse 1 of chapter 13. It says, now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Okay, so what's going on? We don't know exactly. This is the only time this is ever referenced but Pilate was the governor. He was the king of the region. And um, he was a pretty bad dude. The Josephus, the historian, talks about Pilate. And whenever he could, whenever there was uh, Jews that were kind of revolting or angry about anything that the Roman government or, or that Pilate was doing, he, he would kill them. Okay? There's a couple different stories where he would have his own soldiers kind of dress up like Jews, get among the crowd. And then when the crowd was starting to, to like, protest, they would just turn and kill the protesters. Okay, so, so Pilate liked to do that. That was his modus operandi. So when we read here that he killed some Galileans, probably, this is my theory of what happens because, because of the way it's described, is that these Galileans from Jesus' region in the north by the, the Sea of Galilee had come down to the temple to offer a sacrifice to do what's right. And Pilate killed them in the temple while they're sacrificing, so their own blood mixed with the blood of the animals being killed. Pretty cruel, pretty evil, pretty awful. But other Jews looked at this and they said, hey, if, if someone is in the temple, which should be a sacred, special place, and they are murdered and their own blood is shed on the altar, they must have done something really bad. God must have smote them down, right? <laughs> if you go into the temple and you die, ooh, you must have done something pretty bad. You're wrong, right? So when these people come to Jesus and they say, hey, were those guys wrong? Were they sinful? Were they worse than all the rest of us? Is God's judgment upon them because they went into the temple with sin in their hearts? And Jesus says, why are you worried about them and what they did wrong? Don't worry if others are wrong. Get right yourself, he says. Repent. You repent or you too will all perish. Don't worry, should they have repented before judgment came on them? Look at yourself. He goes on to say almost the same thing in verse 4. He says, or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. He says the same thing again, right? So there was a tower that fell, okay, a great big disaster. 18 people die. Oh, is that God's judgment on those people in the tower? Jesus says, no. But unless you repent, judgment will come on you. Man, haven't we heard this again and again? 
Back in the 1980s, HIV epidemic must be God's judgment on homosexuals. 9-11 hits must be God's judgment on America for us being so greedy. The trade centers to fall. Uh, you look at Hurricane Katrina, it must be God's judgment on New Orleans. They're so sinful down there. This happens again and again and again in the pandemic. Oh, what is God trying to judge in our world? It's because we have gotten away from biblical values in our country. You hear this again and again and again if you listen close enough. People are always trying to wonder, is this terrible disaster, you know, economic things, pandemics, plagues, diseases, all these things, is this God's judgment on people? And what Jesus is saying is, don't worry. If others are wrong, get right yourself. You need to repent. You need to repent. You do. Look inside. You have sin that you are walking around with, pretending like a hypocrite, remember at the beginning, to be good on the outside. And when we judge other people, we feel even better about ourselves because I'm not doing what they're doing. She says, no, 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 lower yourself. Repent. And repentance is such an important thing of, of what we do as followers of Jesus. We have to learn to repent because repent means to admit that we are wrong, that we are sinful, that we have something bad about ourselves. You, you know, they, they say a, a clean conscience is a sign of a bad memory. We all have sin. We all have things in our past, in our present, that we're sinning and we're hiding from other people. And we need to confess those sins because those sins are so grave that we do deserve punishment. The tower should fall on us. We should be the ones who are suffering and dying for what we have done wrong. And if you think, oh, no, no, it's not that bad. Yes, it is. It's worse than you think. It's worse than you think. Just trying to add some sound effects. Keep you awake. It's worse than you think. Back when Procter and Gamble was, you know, developing, they were doing the research on Lysol. They were really excited because they thought they had a great product. Because not only could Lysol, you know, cause things to smell better, but it could actually eliminate odors. They were so excited about this. So they gave it to a whole bunch of stay-home moms. And, and stay-home moms were excited about it. They used it once and then stopped using it. And these researchers are like, what's going on? Why did you use the product? And they're like, oh, it, it's, it's great, but my house doesn't smell that bad. So the researchers were like, what's going on? So they went into people's homes, and they, they were like, okay, well, why did you stop using the Lysol? And the houses sometimes would stink. Disgusting homes. And, and the people would say the same thing. Oh, yeah, it smells really nice, but I don't really need it. They went into one home, and the, the lady had nine cats. And it smelled like it had nine cats. It was so bad that one of the researchers gagged when they walked into the house. It was that bad. And they asked the lady, why aren't you using your Lysol? She said, I don't need it. My house doesn't smell that bad. See, we get so used to our own stench. There's going to be some people who go home now and clean their whole house because of this. We get so used to our own stench, we don't even realize that we stink. And it's the same way with our sin. We think everybody does this, or look at those other people. They're worse than, than mine. Oh, you should smell their house. You should smell their sin. But no, we stink. Our sin is awful, and God sees it. Other people see it, too. You don't realize that, oh, yeah, I was just you know, bragging a little bit, and they're like, you, I can't even stand being around you because you're so prideful. You're so arrogant. That, that we think, oh, it's not that big of a deal, and other people are like, no, 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 no. You, you thought you're funny, but you're a jerk. You hurt everyone's feelings. 
You think you're just, oh, I'm just being a hard boss. No, no, no. You are terrible, <laughs> right? And we don't even realize how bad our stench has become, our sin is, in the eyes of God. And God sees those things that maybe no one else sees. He sees <laughs> that you have that profile online that nobody else knows about. He, he knows that the ways that you have outrightly lied or, or just maybe exaggerated the truth or withheld the truth to deceive others. You think it's not that big of a deal. Everybody does that kind of stuff. No, no, no. It's sin, and it deserves judgment and punishment. That's why Jesus says, stop caring if others are wrong. Get right yourself. You need to get right with God, and you need to repent today of your sins. I think the church father Tertullian was right when he said, I was born for nothing but repentance. We have sin in our lives, and we need to repent first. We need to admit our sin, admit our wrong, and get right with God. I, I love the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor. Uh, and before World War II happened, in 1934, Hitler and the SS had wiped out 200 of their political opponents, killed them, cold blood. And everybody was angry and up in arm, and, 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 and Dietrich Bonhoeffer got up that Sunday morning, and he preached that it was our job not to judge, but to repent. That's what he said, and he preached from Luke chapter 13. These verses right here that we're looking at. He, he wrote in a letter to a friend that it's time for our conversion, not Hitler's. See, when things go on around us, as awful and as evil as they are, it's not our job to judge them or to say what they're all doing is wrong, but we're supposed to look in ourselves and say, what can I repent of? How can this lead me to get right with God? When, when we hear about people like governors or politicians or preachers and the sin they have in their life, we shouldn't get on social media and like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're such an awful person. How could they do this for years? We should take all those opportunities to look inside ourselves. Say, what do I need to repent of? How can I get right with God right now? Don't worry if others are wrong. Get right yourself. Get right yourself. And when you do that, true repentance transforms your life. Transforms your life. I, I, I say this all the time, but, but repentance is, hey, I'm, I'm going the wrong direction. I need to stop doing that. But then I also need to turn around and start doing what's right. And that's what Jesus is going to say next in verse 6. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. So, so what he's saying is this, this vineyard, this, this vine should be producing good fruit, but it's not. There's nothing changed about it. There's no fruit at all after years of waiting. And Jesus lets us know that our Father in heaven is the master of the vineyard. That he's the gardener, right? As Jesus would tell us in John 15. And he expects fruit from our lives. If we have said, uh, I've been doing some bad things, uh, I, I'm sorry, we need to then start doing what's right. The fruit in our life should be like the fruit of the Spirit, that we're developing character, that we're becoming more joyful, peaceful, patient, and kind. 
that we're also bearing fruit of good works, that our, our lives, our actions are showing good things. That's fruit in our lives. It should also be helping other people. Sometimes the fruit in our lives is, is helping another person follow Jesus, right? Where is the fruit in your life? If you truly are a follower of Jesus, there must be fruit in your life or you'll be cut down and thrown to the fire. John the Baptist said the same thing back in Luke chapter 3. You remember we looked at this. In, in Luke 3, 8, John the Baptist said, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. If there's repentance, there must be fruit. The NLT, I think, um, translates it well so that we can understand. It, it, they, they say, um, Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. So in the way we live, in our actions, Paul would say something very similar as he preached. In, in Acts 26, we see this. He said, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. See, it's by the way we live our lives, the actions that come out of it, is there fruit in our lives? And if there's not, we have to wonder if there was actual genuine repentance. So stop looking at other people, worrying if they're wrong. Am I right with others? Am I right with God? And am I living right now? Am I living the way I should right now? Have I borne fruit in my life? And that should cause us once again to look inside ourselves. Not wondering why aren't everybody else taking care of the poor and doing good things. No, no, why am I not more generous, more kind, and helping others? Why am I not bearing fruit in my life? And maybe that means again that we need to start allowing God's grace to bear fruit in our lives. So I, I think that this passage is a tough one, right? And it should really cause us to look inside our lives and evaluate ourselves. Because we're so focused, and so many people get focused when we're talking about the end times of interpreting the signs, right? What's going on? How, how are all these things fitting together? What, what, who's the Antichrist? Who's this evil person? How, how is this nation doing us wrong and this political party destroying our nation? We're looking around us, always judging others. But Jesus is telling us, hey, interpret the times a little bit differently. We might be the end. We might be nearing the tribulation. It might be the Antichrist. It might be the mark of the beast. Who knows? But what we should be saying is, am I right with others? Am I right with God? And am I living rightly now? That, that's what we need to be focusing on. And, and, and I think that means that some of us here today, no, all of us, need to take a moment to repent. That we need to be genuine and, and heartfelt in, in telling God, yes, I have done wrong. I have sinned. Not other people. This one's for me. So, so I want us all to take a moment right now to do that, to repent, to truly repent. So, so would you please stand on your feet? We're going to do something a little different today, but I, but I think this is so important. That, that, that we are before God and we are around others. And I want us to just take a moment where we confess our sins, that we admit the things that we have done wrong. Maybe we are, are in a wrong relationship with another person that even if we're right, we need to go reconcile with them. That maybe we have some sin that we've been hiding from everybody else. And, and we need to repent of that today. And, and, and maybe you're like, well, I don't have that, that change in my life yet, but, but I need to have some fruit in my life. God, help me to bear fruit. Well, whatever it is, I want us to just take this moment right now and confess those sins to God. So, so as the band starts playing, I, I just want us to take that moment. Close your eyes. You can, you can pray these silently or, or you can say them out loud because we are surrounded by a bunch of people that need to repent. 
And Lord God, we come to you right now confessing that we are sinners. We repent. Lord God, I confess that I exaggerate to others, that, that I want people to think that I'm better than I am. And in that way, I've deceived others. Lord God, please forgive me for that. Lord God, I confess that sometimes I'm discontent, that I'm jealous of what others have. Lord God, I confess that sometimes I'm selfish and don't treat my wife or kids the way that they deserve. Lord God, we come before you just as sinful men, women, teenagers. We confess that we are sinners, that we have done wrong. Would you please come right now and forgive us? Now, now we know that, that we are promised that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. And we know that because Jesus, who is the only person to ever be able to truly stand and condemn the rest of us, who could judge us honestly and rightly and send us to hell forever, was the same Jesus who died on the cross for us, who shed his blood, whose body was broken, so that he could pay the punishment that we deserve for our sins so that we wouldn't have to fear judgment ever again but we could be forgiven of our sins, bear fruit and live into eternity with him in paradise. So if you're here right now, in a moment we're going to take communion just, just to remember that Jesus shed his blood for us, that his body was broken for us but I know there are some here that maybe have never put their faith in Jesus Christ and let me tell you, no matter how much repentance and no matter how much you admit that you have done what is wrong, it doesn't matter unless you accept Jesus' death on the cross for you and you declare him your Lord and Savior. So I want to give you an opportunity right now. People's eyes are closed, their heads are bowed, and I just want you to say this, repair, you, this prayer. You can repeat it after me, and if you're already a follower of Jesus, say this too out loud so others would have the courage to say it too. Dear God, thank you for loving me. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I repent. Forgive me. Save me. I declare that Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to follow you and serve you. Amen. Now with eyes still closed, if you're here and you said that prayer for the first time, would you please just slip your hand in the air so we can encourage you and pray for you and, and celebrate with the angels because the angels celebrate when one sinner repents. It's a party. If you're online, go to arisedenver.com slash follow and fill out that form. We want to encourage you on your new journey. Lord God, we come to you right now and, and we want to worship you because you are so good to send your son, Jesus, to die for sinners like us. Help us to interpret the times so that we, we look at ourselves first and repent truly and bear fruit for your name. Amen.